Hello, I'm Dr. Margaret, and I'm very glad that you have decided to listen to my show, Journey into an Unknown World. This is a show where I take normal points of view and kind of put a different slant on them to help you think about your life and things that you do in a different way. Today, I've decided to talk about the ideas that we get when we're very small. For example, when you were a young child holding your first dolly, did you think about growing up to be a princess? Or perhaps you were playing with trucks on the floor and thought of yourself as a driver and one day to be a father, a daddy. And, of course, whatever you decided to be, the idea is that one day you would achieve your goals. So, how many of you listening really wanted to be a prince or a princess? Perhaps you had someone who was very animated in your life, who talked about olden times, stories, told you fairy stories about the magic of life in the forests. Or maybe they told you about the ancient Greeks and the gods who flew around the heavens making wishes come true. Whatever it was that you heard, I'm sure that in some way it had an effect on you. So let's talk about why. In the first year of our life, all our senses are heightened. We listen very carefully. We watch everything that we can see. We pay special attention to what we can feel. We wonder how everyone else feels, though we don't put it into words yet. We resonate with everything that we feel, and somehow we try to find a way to feel comfortable. Of course, a mother and father, grandma, grandpa, and other friends and associates who come into our lives often tell us what they think. And while they are telling us, we're paying special attention, the way their eyes open wide. And if we see that in them, then we will open our eyes wide too. And in that moment when the eyes are really wide open, we go into an alpha state, a state of hypnosis. I know when my father used to tell me stories, and he was a really, really good storyteller. For example, he told me the stories about the Jungle Book. And one of the characters there is Ka the snake. And when he told me about that snake, he demonstrated it with and waving his arm around in front of me so that I really believed his arm was becoming a snake. And for a long time, every night I went to bed, I had to look underneath the covers and underneath the bed itself and in the closet to make sure that Carr was not there. Because even though I enjoyed the story, there was something awful about that sussy. And of course, later on I went to know all about poisonous snakes and that didn't make it any better. So what were you told when you were young? Did you like the story of the Sleeping Beauty, the girl that slept for a very, very long time 
and was waiting for her Prince Charming to turn up and give her that beautiful kiss that was going to make her wake up and she was going to fall into his arms and live happy ever after. Did you really believe that? Many children do. And perhaps you heard the story about Jack and the Beanstalk and how Jack climbed up and up all the way to the top and found this strange land where there lived an ogre, an enormous man, a giant, so big, and he had a very bad trait. He loved to eat children. Well, that might have frightened you. You see, when we're very young, we pay attention to these stories. And when we listen, we listen with the understanding that what we hear is true. Well, of course, as we grow up and we get older, we start to understand that those were just entertainment stories. But there was something more than that. What they were actually doing was teaching us to expand our imagination, to visualize things beyond the normal. It was a very good way to stimulate our fantasy within our creative self to become artistic, to become musical, to become full of expression, to demonstrate who we are what we think and what we feel. Well, I know that as a result of all the stories that my father told me, I became quite inventive and even today can still tell a lot of stories. In fact, I often make up stories for my grandchildren and every one of them has a little moral, a little ethic, a little teaching, shall we say, that's going on. But how many of us really realize when we're that young that we're actually learning something. Well, in a sense, our brain knows that we're learning, but in terms of our physical consciousness, we're much more in tune with the imagination so that as we grow up, we rely on our imagination to help us develop the direction and the purpose, the ways that we want to live our life. So let's go back to the idea of a prince. What's he like? Is he tall or is he short? You know, is he black, white, Chinese? What is he? Is he some kind of creature that has a way with him, something perfect or something that's imperfect? What makes us decide what prince looks like? What makes us identify with those things that the prince is supposed to look like? Well, the bottom line is it's that fantasy again, that imagination, that part of ourselves that stimulates us to want to be just like our fantasy, just like our imagination. So that when we grow up, we try to model ourselves on those ideas. Well, of course, as we get older, a lot of those ideas fall by the wayside. But in the core of our consciousness, they're still there, knocking at the deep subconscious part of ourselves, saying, well, what about that little bit, that little part of you that so long ago wanted to be the prince? Now, let's talk about the princess. 
Did you see yourself as the princess in the tower? Trapped, waiting for the prince to rescue you? Or were you actually on the ground, in the castle, with the king, enjoying your life, having a wonderful time, waiting for the perfect man to come along and make your kingdom even better? Whatever the idea was, in some way, you as a woman would have developed the idea that you wanted a perfect world. That the world that you have now, or had then, shall we say, which developed into what you have now, was not perfect. Of course, if you were the prince, then you were going to make it all better. You were going to fix everything. And when you look at your life, have you fixed everything? Have you fixed the people you know? Have you fixed your own life? Well, the hardship here is that the fantasy part of self is still saying, fix it, fix it, fix it. It's like a broken record saying that I have to have what my childhood ideas were, that I have to follow those dreams, those illusions, those fantasies. Now, if we make a giant leap to you as an adult, and you look at all the things you've done in your life, have you ever stopped to think that some of the things you believe today are not founded on truth, but rather on your imagination, the illusions that you had as a child? What about the foods that you like? When I was a very small child, my mother used to insist that we had dessert after every meal, that is the midday meal or the Sunday lunch. And of course, here I am all these years later and I still want my dessert, my sweet touch, something tasty after I've had my main meal. I know that I don't need it. I know that it isn't necessary part of my diet, and yet it's still a comfort. It's a comfort because all those years ago, when I was a little child, I was told that sweets, things that tasted nice, were special because during the World War II, there weren't any. So now that I had some, I really should enjoy it because maybe there might not be any sugar or maybe there might be another shortage of all the desserts in the world. Now, of course, the world has changed since those days and I know that, but I still go after my food as though it might be the last bite, even though I know that's not my real truth. Yes, the hypnotic suggestions that we hear in the first two years of our life are embedded in the deep subconscious part of ourselves. Let's take another subject. Let's think about the way we dress. If we're little girls, we are told that we have to dress up, look really pretty, fix our hair in some special way, and present ourselves to the world in such a style that everyone else thinks we are outstanding. Well, then we go to school and suddenly there are lots more children with more outstanding clothing, lots of 
better hairdos or different colors, and we start to compare ourselves. And even though we learn that we're both different and the same, and that everything is fine, we still grow up with this deep feeling that we have to be perfect. Being the perfect child is bad enough. Being the perfect adult is even worse, because by then we have so much information that we don't really know what being perfect is. These ways, we think we do, but then again, we know we really don't. So, image is important, but is that image important to everyone else, or really is it just important to ourselves? Is it that we really want to please the whole world, or is it that we really want to please that fantasy, that illusion of what we thought we were when we were two years old. I know that it's very difficult to remember when you were two years old. I have a few early memories myself. Things like my mother pulling on my hair while she was putting it back off my face. She thought I looked pretty. I hated it because somehow it made me have a headache. We had to do things, things that our mother and father wanted us to do. They were explained to us as necessary, a part of societal structure, a way to behave. And of course we accepted it, until we went to school and found out that there were other children who did things in quite a different way. Then what? Well, we had to compare. We had to think about what they were doing. We had to think about what we were doing, and we had to think about how we could integrate. That was a big dilemma, especially in the teenage years. But even so, we changed. Or did we? Or did we really just cover up those original ideas of who we were? You know, by the time we're five years old, we've developed our character to the point of perfection. We don't know it, and we don't realize it. But everyone else is telling us we're perfect, we hear it, and we believe it, and we know we are. At five years old, why should we doubt it? And of course, we open our eyes wide when everyone gives us a compliment. Wow, I'm the perfect child. And then we go out in the world, and we find there's lots of other perfect children. And uh, are they the same? or different? Well, I've talked about things in my book, The Rejection Syndrome, how we are encoded with a soul structure that gives us a character and a personality. So actually we're multifaceted and very different from everyone else. It's like saying that we are like a computer. There's thousands and thousands of pages to look at. Which one do we want to focus on at the moment? But when we're a child, we can scan very quickly. We can just eliminate all those things that don't bother us and focus on the things we like. It's only after we've been taught that we need to judge everyone that we start to realize that we have to judge ourselves. And more importantly, that if we don't, everyone else will.
So somewhere through our teenage years, we decide that what we believe is something we need to hold on to. But how do we remember what we believe? You know, it's very difficult to remember when you were two, three, four, and five. Yet, somewhere in the deep part of yourself, you know when you decided that you didn't like to eat apples or greens or some other fruit. You know when you decided that you wouldn't like to draw because you felt that it was a waste of time. Or you decided that you weren't musical because no one had taught you how to sing. Well, the truth is that we can all do everything. We are all multi-talented. And if we are exposed to many different kinds of arts and pleasures during the first five years, we will develop those skills and talents. Not because someone's telling us to learn it, but because we have a passion and a desire and imagination to use what we see and develop the skills and talents that everyone else is showing us they can do and probably outshine them. But if no one's around, no one's there to praise us, if we are told constantly in the first years of our life that we are not clever enough, that we don't have any abilities of any kind, that we are in fact the princess in the tower, then we firmly believe that we will forever be that princess in the tower. Now, you might say, I've overcome that idea. I'm free now. I'm an adult. I'm independent. I can go anywhere I please. And perhaps you do. But most of us rationalize, explain to ourselves just why we can't do all sorts of things. We're busy taking care of the children or working, or we have to take care of Ma and Pa. Whatever it is in some way, we have an excuse that keeps us locked in the tower, keeps us locked into that early idea that we are a princess waiting to be saved. And of course, if you're a boy, then you might well be slaving away at work, trying to make a big business, trying to put food on the table, constantly trying to save the day, yet feeling that the prince part of you is unsatisfied. You don't have all the wealth, you don't have all the answers, and you certainly can't save your princess. Well, relationships are based upon these early five years of our life. And most of us grow up with the idea we will find the perfect partner. So along comes Prince Charming. He's smiling, he's handsome, he fits your description. He fills all the memories of your storybooks. And yet, once you spend time with him, somehow he doesn't quite fit the bill. It's rather like trying to stuff the doughboy into a biscuit or cookie cutter. Well, they don't fit. 
Well, the poor prince, he is busy trying to please you, rescue you, get you out of that tower, get you out into the world, have all the things you want, need. Yet, every time he tries to give it to you, somehow he fails. Maybe he fails because he doesn't have confidence in his abilities and skills. Or maybe he fails because you've decided how you want to be rescued from that tower. Or perhaps you're on the other side of the fence, where you've decided Prince Charming isn't as charming as you thought he was because your outline of what he should be has turned out to be something entirely different. Well, as children, we constantly change our minds. So what was perfect on Monday isn't so perfect on Wednesday. And we don't remember that not consciously anyway, and when we grow up, we become changeable. We make the foundation of our thoughts into illusion and fantasy of saying we're adaptable, that we can change with the blink of an eye, the gush of a wind, whatever it might be. And yet, somehow, we haven't really changed. All we've done is play a game it's like tossing a coin up in the air. Heads or tails? Which is best? Well, the ultimate thing is we don't really know because we're not satisfied. So Prince or Princess isn't perfect and we're grumbling and we are blaming them because we want them to be perfect. And of course, we want ourselves to be perfect. I spent a lot of time researching a lot of people over the years and I've looked at a lot of health issues and I found that 99%, that's a big number isn't it, 99% of the world's population has a problem with the way they think and feel and conduct themselves in their life. Well, you might say those who have lots of money and they have their fast cars and their boats and their fur coats and so on must be very happy. But the truth is most of them are not. And believe you me, I've met some very famous and very wealthy people and had to counsel them as much as I have with the very poor, needed, down and out, trodden people. So, no, it's not about materialism. It's about what we've seen, what we've heard, and what we've felt in those first five years. It's about the illusions and the fantasies that we believe during those childhood years. We build on them. We put them down as foundation stones. Now, some people might say, well, that sounds like we're building on sandcastles. And in a way, we are. But without the grains of sand forming a solid base, there wouldn't be any sandstone. And without any sandstone, there wouldn't be other things, granite, rocks, and so on, come later. We find something more solid upon which to build. So the first five years, we need all that fantasy and illusion. We need those stories. We need those nursery rhymes. We need those little childhood movies that everyone plays on the TV. But what about children today? They are exposed 
to computers as soon as they can twiddle their fingers. They can see pictures all the time. They can see movies all the time. Everything is made easy to see. So, what are they doing? What's going on in their little minds? How much of their perceptions of their life to come is founded on computer land, TV land, and fantasy world? I would say that it's much more than I ever had as a child of the war. We didn't have anything like that. We had to literally climb a wall and feel a wall and fall off a wall in order to know what falling was all about. Today a child can watch it on a screen and see someone falling and falling and falling and know the sensation of the air rushing by without actually doing it. They're learning vicariously. Vicariously learning means that they can absorb a tremendous amount of information, create a tremendous amount of imagination. The trick is to apply it physically. You've heard me talk about the five children before, the liquid crystal children. They seem to be able to deal with this type of life where everything is rushing at them very quickly. They can adapt and sort things out. But the other children, the hero, the star, the indigo and the crystal are having a bit of a hard time right now because they need physical hands-on and they need to know that Santa does exist for a while. They need to know there are fairies at the bottom of the garden and they do need to know that imagination is the foundation upon which they will develop creativity to allow their personality to expand. In all my books, I try to express the way that we all learn, whether it's psychological, emotional, or mental, we each in some way must understand why we think the way we think, why we do the things we do, and most importantly, why we feel so strongly about everything that happens in our life. The last thing that I'd like to mention today is that during those five years, the spirit of a child is at its uttermost strength. It's superior almost in many ways to every other sense. A child is listening to their spirit. They are using their spirit consciousness as their psychic sense. And I did do a show on this before. But what are you doing now, today? Are you using your psychic sense? Are you tapping into your creative skills? Are you thinking about yourself now as an adult? Or are you pondering still what you were as a child? I've had lots of people come to me and say, well, I remember when I was a child I did this or I did that. Well, has it any value in your life today? Are you using something you did as a child? Or are you just using it to rationalize and push some part of yourself away? We are now in the Aquarian Age. And the Aquarian Age means that you must adapt. You must develop a new way, a new strategy for living your life. 
There have been lots of divorces, there have been lots of breakups of relationships, there have been lots of separation of children from their parents. So there's been a big hole in our society where children are not getting the stimulation they need in the creative sense from physical touch, from arts and crafts, from sports, from education from afar. Sitting in front of a computer is wonderful, but they need human contact. So I'm reaching out here on a limb and I'm asking anyone and everyone that's listening, if you can make a new little rule for yourself that you can spend time thinking if you were a child again, if you were five years today, what would you like to be going on around you? How would you like people to talk to you? How would you like to learn again? And if you were learning again, what arts and crafts, what musical skills, what abilities would you like to develop? Perhaps you'd like to start to sing. Perhaps you'd like to learn to play a musical instrument or pick up a paintbrush and create something. Whatever you think about, realize that there is a child out there who may well come into your life and need someone just like you to give them the encouragement to feel that they are worth something and that they can use their fantasy to share themselves with other school children and with other people in their life and develop abilities that will make them feel very satisfied when they grow up so that they do not need to be the princess rescued in the tower or the prince who has to come charging in and save everyone but instead can grow up saying, I like who I am, I'm independent, I can do many things, I'm very adaptable, and I can interact with anyone and everyone I meet without judging them or judging myself, that I can integrate my race with another race, that I can build a world where everyone is the same. Yes, the Aquarian age is about recognizing that variety is a spice of life, but that when you mix all the ingredients together, they do actually make one nice big cake. And that big cake we can all eat, we can all share it. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. I know that if you'd like to talk to me, you can contact me on my special email, which is drmargaretrogersvancoops at gmail.com or on my website, which is sumaricenter.com. I'm sure you're looking at all of this now on the page. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear comments. And I hope that you'll listen to some of my other shows. So until next time, see you again. Bye.